Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today again. I am really um, honored by your presence and I am very grateful that you take your time to join me every day. Um, I hope you're having a great weekend uh, because it's a beautiful day where I am and a beautiful weekend. Um, we are doing today's series on um, on a concept that has a relation that I a relation to uh, what is going on today in in India. Um, we, there's a lot of conversation is about can we change the madrasas in India? Can we change Islam? Can we moderate it? Uh, can we change the mullahs? Can we change the orthodoxy? And my dear friends, the answer is no. Okay, the answer is no, you cannot change it because this is embedded in their DNA. They've been like this for 3,000 years, not 1,400, 3,000, and I'll tell you why. Um, um, Islam is actually uh, of a spin-off of Judaism. It's completely and totally a spin-off of Judaism, not any Judaism, but the Orthodox Judaism. So if you see the, um, you see the um, Jews, the ultra-Orthodox, the Haredim, and you will see them with the black uh, coats and the, and the wigs uh, and, the, and the side locks, those are the people I'm talking about. And if you match them to, to Islam and to Muslims, they are exactly the same. Well, not Muslims, but they, their ideology to the ideology of uh, Islam. So they are the same. They have been like this for 3,000 years. It's not going to change. Uh, you have to change and chip off at it one by one, but you have to understand the entire context. So I got this idea to to show you the, the, the similarities between Judaism, the Jewish orthodoxy, uh, their literature, their, um, their ideology, and compare it with Islam. And we'll do two um, podcasts on this, one today, one tomorrow, because it's pretty long. Um, so we'll go to some uh, words uh, and some books um, that I have... Uh, read up on and this particular one I've read many on this topic uh, and I've done a lot of research back and forth but I'll, I'll use one for today and it's called the Quran and the, and biblical origins uh, Hebrew Christian and Aramaic influences in striking similarities it's written by Asher Elkayam okay it's a very nice book you can get it online if you want amazon.com or wherever you want to get it uh, so the the Quran and biblical origin. So through this through this podcast, I'm going to show you the similarity in lexions or in, in vocabulary among uh, the Jews and uh, sorry uh, Jewish ideology and Quranic ideology. Uh, thereby Judaism, Orthodox Judaism or Judaism, if you want to call it. Um, and Islam. Uh, you will see very clearly that Islam comes completely from, it's a spin-off of um, Judaism, uh, from the northern side, and we have Christianity, which is a spin-off of Judaism from the southern side, so the Yehud. So they're both born out of the schism 
of the people of uh, the original kingdom of Israel and that's why the the ideology is absolutely the same it hasn't changed uh, it's not a new religion it's just uh, it's just a spin-off actually um, and so once you understand this you can ask you cannot ask someone to change you cannot get someone else to to change their waves you can change you can uh, be better and you'll only attract people who are middle a mirror image of who you are and you can heal so we'll start off right away um, so the Quran is the holy book of 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 Islam and the Torah is uh, the or what's it called the Pentica it's also called the Pentica The five books of Moses also um, is is yeah is the holy book of the of the Jews. The Torah is much wider than that. We'll go into it. It's not just the first five book of, books of Moses, but it, it's in, it's it's um, there are a lot of uh, divisions within it, uh, and we'll go through it right now. So um, the Quran is is composed of surahs. Okay, it's composed of surahs, that means chapters. Now, in the original Quran, the first hundred years approximately, there are no surahs. You will see there's no surahs in, in the Old Testament uh, or um, Jewish books. There are, no, there, are no, there are no chapters in the Jewish books. There's no concept of chapters in the Old Testament, sorry, in the New Testament, that's the Christian Bible. There is no chapter, there are no chapters in the Quran. The, the chapters come later and the chapters in Quran is called Surah. The Surah seems to have its origin in the Hebrew word Besura. Okay, so Besura means revelation. The Quran also means uh, revelations, revelation or to recite. Um, and Besorah is a word that comes from Hebrew, means revelation. Um, and of course they're given names. We have, uh, the, the Quran talks about believing in Allah. Uh, we know that Allah comes from the word Ilahi. Um, ilahi, so La ilaha il Ilahi. So that comes from the word Ilahi. And that comes from the word Elahi, which is Hebrew. So Allah comes from Ilahi, Ilahi comes from Elahi, which is Hebrew. Uh, the Hebrew actual um, word is El, because they were not allowed to produce the word, say the word El, uh, because El was divine. So they use the word, uh, they use different alternates for the word. So you got El, Elohim, Elahi, uh, Ilahi, it became in Arabic. So Elahi means divine. Uh, it also it has the same meaning for the word El. So the word Allah comes from this chain of vocabulary, which originates in uh, Hebrew. Uh, and the El, uh, before the dawn of um, Judaism comes, it was used, had a symbol called the cow. It's because we are on the same belt, the Vedic belt, uh, from all the way from North Africa, all the way up to Indonesia, Malaysia, and so and, and the Far East. The cow, uh, the reason why the cow is, 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 is a symbol just like in, um, in, in, uh, in, in Vedic uh, ideology, uh, the reason is because the cow, every time he sits down after grazing, he sits in the directions of the electromagnetic poles of the planet. And so when you know the direction that the cow is sitting in, 
you know very well that you have to align with that. And you have to align with that for only one reason, because we are an electromagnetic field. Our field is has an axe, and we have a, and similarly we have an axe, and we move in, in cycles, in, in currents and waves. So Allah is actually the Arabic version of El, uh, Elahi and El, which comes from the Vedic version of the cow, uh, which was symbolizes L in in those days in the Middle East, and L is um, and it means cow. So you you can see the chain of events. Um, Islam says um, Muslims say that Islam means uh, is the same as Salam, which means peace, which is not true. It um, it means submission, submission to God. Um, we have also. Um, in in uh, the old test in the new testament um we have but in all three we have abraham abraham is the father of islam judaism and christianity but abraham uh, originates with uh, judaism okay um and he moves, he is born in Ur of Chaldea, which is modern-day Iraq, and he moves to Canaan. Okay, Canaan is the land, um, Canaan is today, is the Levant, and which is today modern-day Israel, uh, Jordan, Syria, uh, Palestine, and um, Palestinian territories, um, and the Negev Desert, actually. So, uh... Basically, that is the beginning for you. Now, the different... Um, about, there are about 2 billion people who celebrate, who, who officially call Muslims, and about 2 billion who, who officially practice, well, said to practice, at least wear the Christian label. Um, and there are about 16 million Jews in this world. Um, and for each, their faith is a way of life, actually. So, Abraham is considered the father of monoistic religions. Um, and the age of pre-monoistic religions uh, in the Quran is called Zalaliyah. Uh, which is absolutely ignorant, in my opinion, because all all ideologies are monoistic. Uh, but Abrahamic ideologies are very supremacist, and that's why there's a problem. Uh, and so they think they own everything, and so on and so forth. But Abrahamic ideologies are not the only uh, faiths that are uh, not the only faiths that are. Um, monoistic. Every single group is monoistic because we believe in the creator is one. The interpretation is different. Uh, but the monopoly for that is taken over by uh, Abraham, unfortunately, which is, you know, whatever they want to say, it really doesn't matter because their ignorance will come around the full circle. And talking of ignorance, uh, Islam considers the age prior to Islam starting in 622 ignorant it's called zalalia um zalalia so everyone everything that existed before uh um, islam is zalil ignorant um judaism also does that judaism cons consists uh says and, and they were the first real monoistic religion and everything before that was uh pagan 
So that, that's the similarity between both of them. Now we have a couple of other um, we have a couple of other uh, comparisons. In Jewish history, there are countless uh, examples of self-destruction or lack of cooperation between the Jewish factions. Ju Judaism has many, many sects. Um, the worst were the zealots. They were willing to die and defend for what is in their eyes was a proper Hebrew fate. The zealots, zealots were the last stronghold of the Hebrew state. That means the kingdom of Israel or the Masada. They committed suicide so that they could have to die in the hands of... They did not have to die in the hands of the Romans, uh, the conquering Romans. Um, this, of course, is considered an act of heroism among people, and it's still celebrated today uh, and remembered. Uh, mass suicide. Now, does this sound similar to you, my dear friends? The Udaipur murder was from this. Okay, it's the same, same ideology. Okay, uh, the self-destruction or um, the worst of the sects are the extremists. And in Jewish times, in ancient Jewish times, they were called zealots. Okay, Z-E-A-L-O-T-S. They were considered extremists or, uh, you know, like, like the people who were screaming Sartan Sejuda in, in India. Well, that Sartan Sejuda was a zealot of, of, uh, of the Hebrew state, uh, original Hebrew kingdom. Um, absolutely. And, and this has come down... They are so brainwashed uh, and they are so out of sync that they will use violence to to camouflage their void and they enter into all sort of nonsense. But in this particular case, they committed mass suicide because they did not want to hand over this, uh, be in the hands of the Romans, uh, which is exactly um, what they're doing now. Uh, the zealots, they, they, they die to defend anything. Okay, so they, they have to f defend their ideology and their God and, and, um, and their prophets. They will do it uh, through violence. And this, my dear friend, is, is 3,000 years of Sartan Sejuda. Um, so you want to note that very, very clearly. The book is called Quran and Biblical Origins, and it's chapter 39. You can even Google it, and this concept of zealots, uh, Hebrew zealots, uh, and you can read the stories about them in on in Google. On Google. Um, so in Christianity, you could find this too. Um, all the wars, the uh, Crusades were about uh, protecting, uh, protecting the Christian, um, the Christian groups, uh, the Christian faith. Uh, the four major groups of Judaism is Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and Reconstructionist. Okay, but they've come down to the centuries. So uh, until about 17th century, everything was Orthodox. Everything was in Orthodox, and then. Uh, Europe went to a Reformation movement, and that's why Reformation, you have conservatives, you have reforms, and now you have reform movement, you have the Reconstructionist movement. Uh, within the Jewish religion and structure, any Jew can attend any Jewish service in any Jewish denomination. The Sunnis, however, have two, Shiites and Sunnis. Uh, they have different schools of thought, the Hanafi, uh, meaning the true believer in God. Um, 
The word Hanafi goes back to the time of Abraham. Hanafi is not Islamic. It goes back to the time of Abraham. He was considered, uh, Abraham was considered a Hanifa, meaning true believer in God. Uh, then there's the Shafi school of thought, uh, Ash Shafi, the Hanabali, uh, and the Maliki. Um, they have the only interpretation how to practice Islam, just as the Orthodox and the Conservative and Reformed Jews have to do the same. Um, of course, you have different other sects in, in Islam. You have Wahhabism. Um, you also have Sufism. And, and basically, um, you can go on. It's, it's just uh, every generation has their own little... Um, you know, uh, will develop their own little movements. We have the Tabliki Jamaat, which is not a sect. Well, it is a sect. It started in the 1920s, 1926, if I'm not mistaken, in India. Um, was it the Deobandi School of Thought? Um, but it started in 1926. Uh, so it can go on and on and on. Um, so there's a lot of violence in, in the Old Testament and there's a lot of violence in the Quran and these two this these two books match when it comes to violence pretty much. There's more violence in the Old Testament than the Quran, I have to say that. But it's 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 still gruesome. Both of them are just ill gotten violence and there's all and that's led to sectarian violence as as we know. Um, there's also ethnic cleansing uh, that goes on, but look, um, uh, religion. I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure you you like it all. Um, so basically, that was that was uh, the Quran and and uh, the Quran, and you have the Bible. Sorry. The Old Testament. Uh, violence is coded in the in the Bible and the Quran. When comparing violence in the Bible and violence in the Quran, we need to qualify the reason for the violence. Moses allowed violence in order to eradicate those idol worshippers who were distracting from the Israelites from worshipping one God. We find in several places in the Bible that God, through his prophets, was angered when the Israelites' generals spared the idol worshippers. One nation in the Bible, the Amalekite nation, neighbor of Israel, was a nation that angered God the most because of its sin and because it challenged the God, the God himself. The Lord commanded in several occasions in the Bible that Amalek, the Amalekite nation, to be destroyed in the battles with the Israelites. The divine command on destroying this nation did not involve the destruction of men fighters alone. The divine command included the destruction of women who were accused of bad influence on the Hebrews and children, uh, who would be future detractors if spared. Even the spoils and the cattle were to be destroyed. Um, so you have that um, in, in the Old Testament. And of course, then you have violence in the Quran, my friends. So in the Quran, you have fighting in the name of Allah, Several surahs concentrate on fighting the war in order to preserve and maintain faith. Okay, so this battle that's going on in, in, in India right now, it is embedded in their head from the time of the Israelites. 
You have to fight a war in order to preserve and maintain your faith. If not, it will become a Darul ul Harb. Right now, they are staying in a, in, a, in a land of war, and they are creating war, they are creating disruption, only to take over the nation. Okay, because in war you you play the divide and rule, and in once it is divide and rule, you can become factions. And once you become factions, then you have, um, then you have something called, um, yeah, you break up and you you make new nations like Pakistan and and, and Bangladesh. Um, so absolutely, there is a lot of violence in the Quran, and just to give you. Um, just to give you some examples, Surah 2, uh, uh, Surah 2 uh, verses 216-218, You were commanded to wage war, even if it is hated in your eyes, but you may hate what is good for you, and you may like what is bad for you. Therefore obey God, because He knows what you, what you do not know. If they ask you about fighting during the sacred month, the fight in the sacred month is a great offense, but a greater offense is to derail people from the path of Allah. Incitement, idolatry is graver than bloodshed. This will not cease to fight. They, they will not cease to fight you until they force you to renounce your faith. Those who embrace the faith and those who have fled their land, they fought for the cause of God because... Uh, they fought for the cause of God, may hope for God's mercy, God is forgiving and merciful. So you see, they are duty-bound to fight the infidels. Okay, Fighting is the basis, clearing the, the garbage of this planet, um, that is the infidels, and making it pure is very, purity is, is a very Abrahamic concept coming from um, Judaism, going, going all the way down uh, to... Um, to Islam, and you have it here, 2.6. So what happened in Udaipur, what happened in, um, I think, Maharashtra, because there was another person hacked, what happened in Kashmir, um, it comes from Surah 2, Surah 2 verses 216 to 218. It is their duty to destroy you. Uh, they call that religion, and they call that faith. Um, so, so we hear also um, very often honor killing. Uh, women were killed by their own parents and other relatives for divorcing or frequenting a person not warranted, not wanted by the parents. Um, existed um, tr uh, thousands of years. This practice existed in tribal areas. The Bible itself allows certain members of the family to be punished for their own kin or sinning. However, the object of the study is to mention the clash of the traditions with modern 21st century life, especially when practices are carried over from tribal times. Honor killing, okay, dates back to pre-Islamic times, like everything else. Most victims in honor killing are victims, uh, women. It may occur for many reasons and ranges from women having a prenuptial affair to an improper marital affair. As such, a woman not wearing a hijab, refusing an arranged marriage, or simply being sexually uh, active could lead to exposing her as a target. A woman accused of dishonoring her family could be killed by her father, brother, in agreement with her own mother and the rest of the family. My dear friend, it happens all over the time. Uh, this is uh, this happens in Islam, and because the Islamic 
uh, empires occupied, invaded and occupied the Indian subcontinent from 711 AD, unfortunately. Uh, it has become a part of um, our culture on the Indian subcontinent. Of course, it doesn't mean it didn't happen before. Yes, it did. Uh, this is now in intrigued in our mindset. Um, so basically, that is uh, the concept of honor killing. Um, it's even in doc it, it even written in there in the suras. Surah number 4, uh, verse 15. If any of you women are accused of adultery, get evidence from four witnesses among you. If the testimony is accepted, they shall be confined to their houses <coughs> Sorry, until death, or as God determines for them another outcome. If two people among them are, who are accused of immoral behavior, you should rebuke them. However, if they repent and improve their ways, you should let go of them because Allah likes those who repent. This measure is for those who sin unintentionally. Um, unfortunately, uh, it still goes on and people have taken this into their own hands. Uh, so, here's another concept. Um, the Midrash, we have, uh, we, we've heard about Madrasas, and this is being taught all over the mosques on the Indian subcontinent and in the world. But uh, we, we often say the word Madrasa. Madrasa, we have to close the Madrasas. What is a Madrasa? A Madrasa comes from the Hebrew word Midrash. I'll repeat that. A Madrasa comes from the Hebrew word Midrash, and Midrash is spelled M-I-D-R-A-S-H. Um, it's commentary on on the it's it's commentary on the um, on on the on the Jewish scriptures. Um, so absolutely, it, it is it is very important to understand that uh, a midrash is commentary, and and you have to understand the commentary and learn the commentary, which talks is written by scholars and and prophets uh, on on the books of Moses and the, and the, and the revelations of Moses. Uh, those became schools uh, in the. Um, in the Hebrew era, uh, their schools were midra. Uh, they, they had schools, and um, in the Jewish center of learning was called a yeshiva. Okay, a yeshiva is like a Hebrew uh, place of learning where they learn the midrash, they learn the Torah, the Gemara, all the Jewish uh, texts, and these places were um, then converted later on, and this conversion then became, um, when Islam took over, these places then became midrash, or places where you studied midrash or Jewish or, or um, Islamic text and Islamic revelations and Islamic uh, theology, and they were called madrasas. Okay, but that madrasa, madrasa is Hebrew and comes from the Hebrew concept. It is not an Islamic concept. And uh, Islam, because it's a spin-off of, in my opinion, obviously, uh, is a spin-off of the Hebrew, um, Hebrew kingdom and the Hebrew uh, uh, schism and the kingdom of Israel. This now becomes uh, Muslim and becomes Islamic. 
And so when you are trying to say, I'm going to remove, we're going to ban the madrasas, you have to understand this is indoctrinated in their head for uh, 3,000 years. Uh, so here is another concept. The, uh, the Abraham had two, two sons, uh, well, he had multiple sons, but these were two main sons. Uh, the first son, Ishmael, and um, Ishmael is, is the Isaac, Isaac and Ishmael. So Isaac is the Hebrew son, and Ishmael is the son that finally is said to have uh, been the descendant who then forms the whose descendants who then form the Islamic nation. Um, so it is it is evident that Muslim scholars look for biblical connections to Ishmael to really make sure that to try and put him forward and say, well, you know, he's also son. Um, it's reported that Ishmael had twelve sons and one of them was called Kedar or Kaidar. K-E-I-D-A-R. The name Kaidar is also reported in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, verses 10 to 11. The name Kedar or Kaidar is repeated several times in the Bible. Um, and it is said very clearly in, in Genesis 20, um, 21 to 20, and God was with the boy Ishmael and he grew up and he dwelt and became a bowman and he dwelt in the desert of Paran and his mother took him um, got him a wife took for him a wife from the land of Egypt um, so that is uh, that is Ishmael okay uh, he is said to be the forefather of the Muslims um, but where is, however, where is Paran? Okay, so the Muslims, uh, Hebrews say, well, Paran is not, uh, is not Muslim, or there, there was, it was in the Hebrew section, um, it was in, in, in the Kingdom of Israel, in Sinai, there's a whole lot of versions. The Muslims say Paran is, um, Paran is, is where Islamic uh, Saudi Arabia is today, uh, and that is a big conversation that Paran is in Saudi Arabia, and the Hebrews say no, it's in the Levant. Um, so Moses met him. It says very clearly, Moses um, goes forth and meets. In sorry, in addition, one more quote could solidify the fact that wilderness of Paran is not too far from the Holy Land. When Moses sent out spies to scout the Holy Land, they took 40 days to return to Moses and meet him in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh settlement. Kadesh is in the Sinai wilderness. Therefore, the wilderness of Paran is enclosed within the Sinai wilderness. Um, there is no indication in the Bible that Ishmael wandered to Arabia. Um, it is possible that some Israelite tribes went and settled in Arabia, therefore we may connect the presence of the seed of Ishmael to Arabia. But this is important because uh, the, the Hebrews and the Jews and the Muslims are always fighting over this, that uh, Paran is... Uh, Paran is in Saudi Arabia, and, and it basically is to tell you uh, 
if the son of Ishmael was important, that important to uh, Abraham uh, that he said, go forth and, 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 you know, make more nations. There were many nations born out of you. And that he was talking to Ishmael. So he, he uh, prophesizes Islam coming in, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but, uh, no, I don't believe in any of these prophecies. I don't really care who it comes down from, but basically that's what it is. Um, so by being near Paran, the Israelites could have wandered eastwards to Edomite or Moabite, ter uh, Moabite territory, which was sometimes somewhat close to today's Hijaj in Saudi Arabia, which is, I think, a northwestern um Northwestern Saudi Arabia. There's no absolute historic evidence of that fact. Uh, we can deduct that the settlement of Paran, where the Ishmael grew up, could be placed in the south of today's Negev Desert, in the Sinai Desert between Israel and Egypt. So you have this is a very important part that they continuously argue about. Um, so, in fact, he was allowed. Um, by God to see the promised land, Moses was, when Moses was in the Sinai desert himself, he was allowed to see the promised land from a strategic point on Mount Nebo across the Jordan River. That location where Moses spoke to the children of Israel before they could enter the promised land may not have been in Saudi Arabia, according to ge geographical uh, archaeology and, and reports. Um, and this is important because Islam says it's because Ishmael then went on to Saudi Arabia, which is and and the and the Holy Land of Islam, which is around Mecca. Uh, that's why he prophesizes the the religion of of Islam, and Islam is really the true religion, is what they say. Um, so, how do we reconcile the two Ishmaels? Um, Two, Ab two Ishmaels and two Abrahams. How do we compare the Abraham of Genesis and the Abraham of the Quran? Ch uh, page 69, I'm going to read it to you. Uh, some scholars deduct that Muhammad's description of Is uh, Ishmael and Abraham, that there was there seemed to be two Abrahams. Abraham of the Genesis, who is the father of all, and the Abraham of the Quran, who is exclusively the father of Islam and around the Kaaba. Historically speaking, we can ask questions about whether or not Abraham had indeed built the Kaaba and settled in Mecca. Uh, the other question conse consequently centers on the biblical history of Abraham. Uh, the fact that the real identity of Abraham may remain a mystery for historians and believers, the importance of Abraham for all religions mentioned above remains proof that solidifies the connection between them. No matter what religion claims Abraham, he became a legendary figure of humanity. Abraham is quoted by historians as being a spiritual icon and the pioneer of monotheism, a communicator with God. Well, we also know that Abraham actually comes from Avram. Avram in Akkadian um, uh, means sons of, so sons of Ram. Actually, actually, he is given a name that is that says very clearly he is the son of Ram or descendants of Ram. Uh, so we've talked about um, we've talked about 
Zalaliyah, which is the age of ignorance in the Quran, um, represents the dark ages of Islamic, more, pre more precisely Arabic era, prior to the advent of the Quran. It often used, um, the word Zalaliyah comes from the word Zahal, uh, which suggests a combination of ignorance, violence, and wilderness. But they are still violent, my friends. Um, uh, the word Zahal is often attributed to Moroccan Arabic descent, to a wild and violent dog in rage. Um, out of harsh and merciless conditions in the desert way of life, Arabia grew up, um, of Arabia grew up would-be poets who wrote about violence and manliness and the tribal pride that justified violence and revenge. Um, so that is that is uh, the connection between the uh, that is a connection between Islam and Judaism. Now we're going to go some to some uh, to some books on this. Uh, literature, um, connections on books, literature. So two important dates should be remembered about the Quran for history's sake. The year 653 is a pivotal year where the Quran was finally written down and accepted as the final and true religious document through the Muslim world and the Arab world. The, eight, the year 840 is the year the Hadith was written down and completed because it takes a long while to put it all together. Um, this Hadith comes from the, is compared in its sanctity in the eyes of Muslims to the second Torah, okay, called the Torah Shekil uh, or the oral Torah, okay. Because the Hadith contains stories and legends, they can be compared in literary style to the Hadith to the Hebrew Agadah, which precisely means legend. They can also be compared. They can also be compared to the Hebrew Haggadah, which is the means the story of, okay. So the Hadith is the story of Muhammad and his actions, and, this, um, and you also have the Sunnah, um, which are his traditions. Um, and that comes from the Hebrew Haggadah, H-A-G-G-A-D-A-H, which means the story of, means the story of someone, the narrations of someone. Um, the Hebrew Haggadah is recited at the Jewish festival of Passover at the Seder or ceremonious dinner, and it recounts the events of the Exodus and the miracles that were brought, that brought the Hebrews out of Egypt and out of slavery. So this is very important. Um, now, Hebrew is the. Hadith is made out of chains, uh, chains of narration. So isnads, they're called isnads. Um, and that means, it basically says it's a lineage of li of literature. That means it says, I heard it from that person who heard it from that person who heard it from that person. So this change, it, in my opinion, it's he said, she said. But it, in, in, in uh, literature, it's a chain, and it's called uh, an isnad. Okay, um, the the hadith have four degrees of uh, reliability. The first is called the kudis, kudsi, which is um, sacred. The word kudsi comes from the Hebrew word Hebrew word kadosh, which means holy or sacred. So you see, it's the same thing. There's no argument about the first category. The second category is arfu. 
um, the elevated um, version, and it's it's a quote from the Prophet himself. The word arfu comes from the uh, comes from the Arabic word araf, means to know. Um, the third and fourth categories are considered um, they call malkuf, that means stopped, and maktu, severe, that means they're not so sure about it. They're not sure at all. Uh, so the Muslim scholars have gone f further in sorting links of the isnad and, and they qualified them as interrupted or uninterrupted. And the most reliable link is called supported, uh, uh, one that's supported. The weakest link is called one that is hanging, so uh, mullak. And in between the two links, there is a continuous link called the mutasil, going back to the companion or the successor, the Prophet. That means if you have an isnad or you, if you have a saying, okay, which goes back all the way, not to a person who heard it, but goes back to the, to the Prophet, okay, or the companion, sorry, companion or successor of the Prophet, that means very first generation, it's called a mutasil. Um, so there are plenty of other... Um, there are plenty of others also. Um, hadith and names of hadith. Um, we're going to go to something over here uh, that is in, that I thought was very important that you should know. Um, we'll understand what the uh, Jewish literature is. So one of one of the leading advices of Muhammad gives to his followers is the reference to the Torah and the people of the book. The Torah includes many, mainly the five books of Moses. Okay, so the Pentateuch, as I cannot pronounce it, P-E-N-T-A-T-E-U-H, or Pentateuch. So P-E-N-T-A-T-E-U-H, the five books of Moses, that's what, in, that's what the Torah includes. And the rest, it includes that as part, and the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So together they're called the Old Testament. So when you hear the Old Testament, because the Christians call it the Old Testaments, the Hebrews call it the Torah, the first or the first five books of Moses, um, or sometimes the Hebrew Bible. The Torah also includes Hebrew and Aramaic commentaries of the Bible. Okay? Um, and they are called the Mishnah and the Talmud. So the Mishnah and the Talmud are commentaries on the Torah. The Mishnah is written in Hebrew. The Talmud uh, is written in Aramaic mixed with Hebrew. So the Talmud is also sometimes called the Gemara. Another source of the Torah is the Midrash, which I was talking to you about. Midrash contributes to the explanation of the mysteries we, we experience in understanding the uh, Old Testament. Um, so basically that is something that's important for you to know. So you see uh, it sort of loops and, and comes back to its origin. Um, so there are a lot of words taken from the Old Testament into the Quran and uh, words like the Torah, the Sinai, the Lahab or Lava, uh, names like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Jesus, Miriam, Joseph, uh, all these names come um, from the Old Testament. Jesus knew Hebrew and Aramaic, Muhammad knew the language that was pre-Islamic uh, 
that was pre-Islamic or pre yeah that was Aramaic um, and sort of a hybrid between Aramaic and Arabic because Arabic was not completely known at that time um, so that is important uh, it, there is something else I will talk about so we'll go to some words um, vocabulary that overlaps okay and and I will get down to it so you've got very much of the first chapter of the Quran al-fatiha al-fatiha meaning the introductions okay uh, or in the beginning and in Hebrew that is called the petiha or the petha means in the beginning and entrance Bismillah, we say very often in Arabic, that comes from the Hebrew version Beshem Eloha. So, Bismillah or Beshem Eloha, which means in the name of God. Rahman, Raham, Rahman in Arabic corresponds to Rahman in Hebrew. So, it's a Hebrew word meaning compassionate, lovable, and merciful. It is not Arabic, it predates Arabic. Rahim, Rahim is is close to the word Raham, Rahum, which is Hebrew. Then you have, in Arabic, you have Alhamdulillahi. It's a close word to Hamod, Hamed, and it means praise. Okay, Alhamdu. We say Alhamdu, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. That comes from Hebrew, my friend. Uh, Hamod, Hamed, uh, Hebrew, it means praise. Lihahi, Alam Habdullah or Ilahi is a word that comes from Ilah or Allah, which means in God or to Allah. Uh, the first part, Lil, means to or to the, and the Hebrew word Lil is Le or Tuda is the same. It's absolutely a Hebrew word. It is not a, a Arabic word, and I I'm, I know I'm not pronouncing it very well, and I apologize. Lihai, uh, Lilhai, H L I L L A H I. I'll repeat that. L I L L A H I. Um, I know we all always hear the word Alhamdulillah. Uh, so that uh, that comes from the word Alhamdu and Lillahi. Okay, so that's the word. Uh, you have another Arabic word, Rab il alamim, corresponds to the Hebrew connotation, Ribon ha olamim, which means the matters of the universe. Maliki in Arabic cons uh, corresponds to Melek in Hebrew, okay, meaning king in both languages. Um, in Arabic, you have Yum idin, sounds exactly like Yom Hadin in Hebrew, which means Day of Judgment. Um, uh, Iyaka in Arabic sounds like Lilaha, Likha or Utha, which means to you, to you the meaning of God. Uh, then we have Nabdu in Arabic, sounds like Navod or Nabod in Hebrew, it means we shall worship. Um, we have va in Arabic, sounds like ve in ancient Hebrew, ve in modern Hebrew, and it means and. Okay, so the word and, we have the same thing in, uh, pretty much the same thing in both languages. Iyakas, uh, sorry. Um, 
Okay, so we have natasin, meaning we seek, we seek help in Arabic. It sounds like Hebrew, sayi uh, or siyuak, which means to help. So natasin means to help, and sayi, S-A-Y-E-H, is a verb, or siyuak, S-I-U-O-U-A-H. We have edina in Arabic, which means to direct us, to show us, asking God to show us the way. The closest Hebrew word that sounds like the Arabic word is hod, uh, glory or splendor, um, and or head, H-E-D, meaning to echo. So by echoing your, 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 your revelations in our head, show us the way. Um, the related Arabic adjective is mahadi, which it is very popular in Arabic literature as well as in the form of person's first name, mahadi. Uh, sirat in Arabic comes from shura in Hebrew, which means the path, the way. Uh, so we always say um, the sirat rasul, we say um, sirat. Sirat means shurat in, in Hebrew, which means again uh, the part. Uh, we also have sunni, uh, um, sharia. The, in, uh, sharia in, in Arabic, the sharia law, which people say the sharia law, uh, that actually comes from shura. Uh, so in Arabic, for straight or righteous, I'm going to pronounce this, mustakim. And in Hebrew, it's sadakim. Almost the same. Um, Lazina or Ladina in Arabic is a close word to Ze or Zo in Arabic in Hebrew, which means uh, in the context of those. Um, you also have An Amta in Arabic, sounds like Hin Amta in Hebrew, which means you have made it pleasant. Um, so, very common. Um, there's another one here, Al. Alehim in Arabic sounds like Alehim in Hebrew, which means to them. Peace be to them. Shalom Aleikum. Salam Aleikum. Shalom Alekem. So Alekem uh, means onto someone else, and it's the same as in both languages. Geril. G A Y R I L in Arabic means grace. Um, it, it, it doesn't have a, a similar word in Hebrew, uh, but it's used very often. Uh, in Arabic, you have um, al-zalim, which means those who went astray, al-zalim. Um, but the context, we don't have a similar word in Arab in Hebrew, but it's the, it's the same concept. So that is some vocabulary that goes over. Um, I'll talk about use to some, for some more words just very quickly. So va in Arabic can, corresponds to ve in Hebrew and means an. Katana in Arabic uh, corresponds to katanu in Hebrew and literally means we have a cut. We have divided the children of Israel. Ham in, in Arabic corresponds to him in Hebrew means them. It's the same thing in Hindi. Um, 
Fil arzi in Arabic corresponds to ba'aretz in Hebrew, which means in the land. Umma, uh, umma mama in Arabic corresponds to umma in Hebrew. So you have umma, we say the Muslim umma, that's Hebrew, which means the nation or the people. You have minu in Arabic corresponds to mehem in Hebrew, which means from them. Um, in Arabic, we have va minhum, which cor corresponds to ve mehem. It means from them. Duna zalik in Arabic has no relation to Hebrew, but it means otherwise or the opposite. Va uh, bavlav nahum in Arabic, the two closest words in Hebrew are va hum, uh, means we have tried them. Um, in Arabic, you have bil hasnati. And Hebrew sounding word is B, Hosen, means strength. The sentence means with wealth or with good things. Um, you have La in Arabic, L-A is the closest Hebrew word is Ella, which means but or perhaps. Allahum in Arabic, composed of two words, Allah and Hum, which means their God uh, in Hebrew. It sounds like Elohi, um, Hem. So Allahum in um, in Arabic and Elohim is in Hebrew. Uh, Yarjun in Arabic is the closest word is Yargium, which means he uh, will set in motion or move from one place to the other. Um, so basically, um, you see there are many, 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 many similarities. Uh, I can go through this with you. I've got another. Uh, two pages to go to you, but I'm not going to do it today. We're going to continue tomorrow, and we're going to take it up and see the similarities, and we're going to see go through history how how is how Hebrew uh, kingdom broke up and went into Islam. Uh, we've spoken about it briefly, but I'll go into it in a little more detail on the chapter tomorrow, and it's just to show you the. The length of time that this ideology has, has existed, it's 3,000 years, it's embedded into uh, um, in, in intellect and embedded into their ideology, into their minds, into their DNA. So in order for you to, to say, okay, I'm going to make it better, or I'm going to understand it, you cannot understand, you cannot change someone else, you can change yourself. And you can empower yourself with knowledge and heal and to not fall trapped to this because knowledge always heals. Um, and, and to have that confidence. Uh, as I like to say, atwa, all that lies in between. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you for being here. I hope I gave you some more knowledge today. I hope you've taken down some notes. And you could uh, Google it and research it. I, I suggest you research every single thing I've mentioned. Um, and I was reading from the book, uh, the Quran and the Biblical Origin. And it is by Asher El Kayyem. Thank you so much for your time. I wish you a pleasant uh, weekend ahead.